Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to New York. This is is the Devil's Devil's State of Mind Mind Podcast, Podcast. brought to you by the Hockey Hockey Podcast Podcast Network. Network. Now here's your host, host, Neil Villapiano! And what is going on, Devils fans? It is, as always, your host, your best friend, your confidant, your number one source, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network as well as Sportswire Radio. The best place to get everything you need to know about this team really needs a, needs a goalie in defense so bad, New Jersey Devils. And as always, guys, thank you, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to check these episodes out. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. This is the first episode of the month of December, if you can believe it. It is December now. We are into the final full calendar month of the year 2023, and uh, it has been quite the year for the New Jersey Devils over the last uh, 12 months or so. But right now, despite winning three of their last four, the vibe is still not where it needs to be, and the Devils are continuing to deal with much adversity. Some of it is self-inflicted, and we'll get into all of that. But before we do that, Make sure, as always, guys, here on YouTube to leave a like on the video. Also, subscribe and hit the notification bell so you get notified every time a new episode comes up right here. Really do appreciate it. Also, as always, make sure to go check out the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, all that good stuff. Make sure to go check it out over there and listen to it. And leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Really, really does help out the channel. And also, shout out to all of our lovely sponsors. We got SeatGeek. $20 off your first purchase when you use my code Devil State of Mind at SeatGeek. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the Devil State of Mind podcast and THPN. And with so many different sports going on, hockey, the NBA, NHL, obviously the NBA, you got obviously the NFL going on. And of course... Now that we have some word about the college football playoff and all of the bowl games set, 
Very exciting month of college football coming ahead. And so with all that going on, DraftKings, number one place to get in on all the huge cash prizes when you sign up and use our promo code THPN. And also shout out to Horns and Tail Napa Valley, the official wine club of the New Jersey Devils and the official wine sponsor of the Devil State of Mind podcast. Use promo code DEVILSTATE to get uh, 10% off every single one of your orders for some best tasting wine with some really cool devil design bottles. It is the perfect gift for the devil's fan in your life. So as always shout out to all of our sponsors, devil's fans. We have a very special guest joining us here on this edition of the devil's state of mind podcast. And you know, I'm going to do something a little bit different. We're obviously going to talk about the last two games for the devils. We're going to look ahead to next week. The devil's dealing with injuries yet again and another major impact player who could be out for quite some time. But other than we are talking about that, obviously, we are also going to be talking about some college football. And I have a very special guest joining us. It is with great pleasure that we welcome on John from College Football Talk Daily. John, welcome to the Devil State of Mind podcast. First and foremost, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good, Neil. Thank you for having me. Uh, pleasure to talk about the Devils. Awesome, man. And we are excited to have you on, not only talking about the Devils, but also at the back end of this episode, we get our fans a little interested in what's going on in the college football world because we got a lot to talk about, especially after a lot of today's announcements for sure. But let's obviously start by talking and recapping the last two games for the Devils. So the last two games were against the Flyers and the San Jose Sharks. We'll start with the game in Philadelphia back on Thursday night in Philadelphia as the Devils, despite blowing a two-goal lead in the third, came away with a 4-3 to win in overtime to beat the Philadelphia Flyers. This was the first game that the Devils played without Dougie Hamilton, who sustained an injury on Tuesday against the Islanders. Sam LaBerge made his NHL debut. Didn't do very much to say the least, but 26-year-old from Utica making uh, his NHL debut. With that win, the Devils moved their winning streak to three in a row. And Akira Schmidt, with arguably uh, certainly the most saves he's ever had to make in a game, as he stopped a career-high 44 out of 47 shots. Alexander Holtz and Jack Hughes with goals in the first. Tyler DeFoley got a goal on the power play uh, in the third period. And Luke Hughes, who got hurt or appeared to be banged up after a hit from Garnett Hathaway, which resulted in a game misconduct and having Garnett Hathaway be thrown out of the game. Um, Luke Hughes did not play the rest of that first period, but did return and played the rest of the game. And karma's a little bit of the B word as he ended up getting the game winning goal on a two on one with his brother, Jack scoring it 28 seconds in to win the game in overtime. And one last thing to mention, Brendan Smith, is now serving a two-game suspension after a high-stick swipe that he hit on Travis Konechny. Konechny was also fined uh, $5,000 for basically instigating. Devils ended up taking a penalty on that and um, it eventually uh, cost the Devils a goal, but it didn't cost them the game. So overall, Devils were able to find a way to get themselves another win in the Metropolitan Division to get themselves to three wins in a row. So John, really quickly here, your thoughts from the Devils' win in Philadelphia back on Thursday. Well, uh, in hindsight, I would say that I think Schmid played probably the best game by a Devils goalie of the season. Uh, don't want to jump ahead, but I wish he could have followed it up a little bit better. Um, but I think the Devils showed some good resilience and fight coming back after blowing the lead and then just ending it quickly in overtime. Yeah, for sure. And your thoughts on the 
the hit that Luke Hughes suffered from Garda Hathaway, do you feel that it was deserving of a of a game misconduct? Do you think it was a penalty at all? Because the argument, and I agree with it, that the refs really took way too long to blow the whistle there, and Luke Hughes was not prepared to basically get run over in that situation because he assumed that the whistle would be blown before him. But, but what are your thoughts on that hit? Uh I think it should have been a minor penalty. I don't think it was. I don't think he meant to hurt him. I think it was more on the refs, like I said, for not blowing the whistle quick. Uh, I think it was an unfortunate situation. It should have been blown down a little earlier. And you know, obviously Hughes wasn't ready for it, and Hathaway just, you know, he was playing to the whistle. Yeah, and so and I agree as well that it really. I, I felt the game misconduct was overkill. Um, that didn't end up costing the, the Flyers the game. Uh, the Flyers were actually able to kill off that five-minute power play that the Devils had. So certainly did, um, didn't really change the effect of the game. And Luke Hughes was able to come back and play the rest of that game, which I think is important. And, um, you know, Luke Hughes said after the game himself that he was very fortunate he didn't get hurt on that. So maybe he got the wind knocked out of him. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Some people are speculating he popped his shoulder back in after hurting it. Who who really knows exactly what uh, what Luke dealt with in that situation? But the bottom line is Devils get the win and get themselves to three straight wins. So now we shift to less than 24 hours later, the Devils are back home for their final home game for a while because after this game, the Devils go on a four-game road trip and their next home game will not be for about nine days, uh, December 13th, middle of the week against the Bruins. But the Devils were going up against the San Jose Sharks and what a lot of people looked at as a pretty winnable game considering the Sharks were coming in with just five wins on the year. They hadn't won a road game yet up until this point. And with the Devils on a three-game winning streak, this felt like another really good opportunity to get a win, get that streak to four, and get some more momentum going into this big road trip coming up. A couple of things I want to mention uh, that we got word of prior to this game. First and foremost, we finally get Simone Nemich into the National Hockey League. He was called up prior to this game and made his NHL debut. Really did not disappoint. He had some moments where he wasn't tremendous on the back end, but I think overall he played pretty well. He ended up with two assists, so he already has his first two NHL points out of the way. So very, very exciting there. But it does come at a cost, as it was announced that Dougie Hamilton is going to be out indefinitely after having surgery on a torn left pectoral muscle. He was placed on IR retroactive to November 28th when he got hurt against the Islanders. And so there's a reason now why Simone Nemich was called up more for an emergency purpose really than anything else. But uh, John, your first, you know, kind of a two-parter here. First thoughts on Simone Nemich's first NHL game and then the news about Dougie Hamilton. I thought Nevich played pretty solid for his first NHL game, not being in the plans. Obviously, it was Dougie's injury that brought him up. So I think for being thrown into the fire, basically, he played pretty good. I mean, he definitely wasn't the worst defenseman on the ice that night. So um, yeah, I think he played pretty good. His first two points being out of the way, he kept the puck moving. And I liked that he was uh, he was taking a lot of shots, which was pretty good because we're going to need someone to take Dougie's role. Yeah, for sure. And then obviously talking about the loss of Dougie Hamilton now, this injury is a little, you know, it could go either way. Uh, some people have speculated it could take several months for Dougie to come back. Uh, it doesn't appear to be, um, it doesn't appear to be season ending, but it's still going to be a pretty good amount of time before Dougie's even able to get back on the ice. So, I mean, 
What is the impact of Dougie Hamilton being out of the lineup? Well, I think obviously he's not on power play one anymore because Luke has been there, but he is a leader of the team. I mean, obviously we paid him all that money for a reason. He's a good puck moving defenseman, you know, and, and when he's on, he's pretty solid. Obviously he's had some defensive lapses this season, but the team as a whole has not been the best defensively this year, but you can't understate the impact he brings to the team. Like, I think it's kind of like how Hughes and he sure are. When he's on the ice, the team just plays a lot more confident. So once again, the Devils will continue to deal with the major injury bug, particularly to keep players. Uh, another injury report came out at the exact same time. Tomas Nosek, again, dealing with already his second injury of the year, is out indefinitely after he had surgery on his right foot. And he aggravated this uh, right foot injury that he actually originally injured in our second game of the year back on October 13th at home against the Arizona Coyotes, caused them to miss 10 games. Then he got hit on a hit from Jacob Truba a couple weeks ago, and actually that's what I assumed what he was dealing with, but I guess that was not the problem. The problem was is that he re-injured his foot, and now he's going to be out, and neither one of these players has any sort of timeline as to when they're coming back. Not much to say about Tomas Nosek, not, not because he's been bad, but he's barely played. Every t It seems like every time he finally gets back in the lineup, he gets hurt. He's been very good on the, on the face-off dot, um, but that's about it. And that's unfortunate that, uh, you know, his season has really, really been slowed down due to injuries. We'll see uh, if and when uh, him and also um, Dougie Hamilton are able to come back. The good news, though, another good piece of news, John, was Timo Meyer made his return back to the lineup against his former team. First time against the San Jose Sharks been, since being traded last year's deadline. So, again, you get Nemich back. Well, you get Nemich and then you get Timo Meyer back, but you lose on the other hand, you lose Dougie Hamilton and you lose Tomas Nosek. So hopefully guys can find ways, you know, next man up mentality and, you know, continue to try to help this team move forward. That was not the case. That did not happen in this game yeah. against the Sharks as I was in attendance for this one, unfortunately. And the Devils yeah. got their ass handed to them as they lost 6-3 to three at home to the San Jose Sharks. This was also the return of Mackenzie Blackwood, Fabian Zellin, and Nikita Ahud took. Uh, Blackwood did not start in net for the Sharks in this one. Um, Zetterlin did play. Nikita Hood took uh, took a penalty in this game. So not much to really say from those guys. Uh, didn't really. Th there wasn't much of a tribute to any of them anyway. Even the you know welcoming him back, it was kind of a half-hearted thing anyway. But mm -hmm. simply put, John, the Devils did not show up in this game. They they really didn't. And it seemed like every time the Devils scored, they gave one or two right back, and it was just. Unbelievably frustrating. Akira Schmidt looked awful. The defense was putrid, as I've you know talked about. And again, first road win of the year for the Sharks, just their sixth win overall. Um, bad game. Really bad game. And kind of knock off a lot of the good vibes that the Devils were getting after those uh, previous three games. So, I mean, again, John, your, your overall thoughts on that really disheartening loss to the Sharks at home. Well, a few things I want to say about this. One, uh, I saw on Twitter before the game that uh, Fabian Zetterwin said, I hope they don't boo me. And that uh, that kind of broke me a little bit because uh, I loved Zetterwin when he was a devil. But um, I will say, like I said, this was a disappointing game for sure. And it, it can't be overstated. The Devils need goaltending. That's what it is. I mean, like I said, Schmidt had a, what, was it 50, 55 saves the night before? He had uh, 44 saves the night before. 44, 44, 44, 44 yeah. on 47. Yeah. Yeah, so they had 44 saves the night before. I think it comes down to coaching. He shouldn't have been in net. I mean, the Sharks are not world beaters by any means. I mean, they're playing better as of late, as uh, 
But Vanacek should have been in there, unless you've lost all hope in him. But I just don't see why you start a young goaltender after 47 shots being faced the next night in a back-to-back. And you bring up a really good point, and that's kind of where I want to ask you the next question, John, is this. I think it's fair to say that Schmidt getting the start in back-to-back games, second half of a back-to-back, kind of shows you where the devil's uh, faith is in Vitek right now. Vitek Vanacek, I don't recall the last time he really had a good game. Yeah, he won that game against the Sabres um, last Saturday again um, in the 7-2 win, but he barely saw a, a lot of shots in that game, and they still give up two goals. So would it be fair to say, in your opinion, John, that Vitek's, Vitek's confidence is basically at zero at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think both of their – I think the Elvis are in a really tough spot because Vitek – Obviously, this coaching staff doesn't have the confidence in him to play him right now, or they would have played him Friday night against the Sharks, which I think could have been a good tune-up game for him. But Schmid also now, I mean, if he can't do back-to-backs, like we're in a real pickle. I, I wish Nico Dawes was healthy, maybe rotate him in for a game, but I feel like we we don't really have an answer right now. We certainly don't, and uh, I agree with a lot of people that I think this is one of the knocks on General Manager Tom Fitzgerald that he wasn't aggressive enough helping the Devils on the back end, whether that was on defense or even and certainly in net. And now he's paying the price for it. And, uh, you know, there aren't a whole lot of options. And we'll, we're actually going to talk about some potential options the Devils could go after and trade or even via free agency that maybe could potentially help this team, um, even in little ways, to just get them back on track and get them to be a more consistent uh, team. Because right now, things just do not look like they're improving whatsoever. And we're beyond... I think we're beyond the point of saying that it's early. Again, they haven't even played 25 games yet, but you know, you got to get going at some point because the longer that you wait and the longer that you don't have success, the harder it's going to be to come back in the second half of the year to try to make a late push to sneak into the playoffs. So yeah, really, really disheartening loss um, against the Sharks. Uh, so the Devils finished with a relatively solid week of hockey. They finished two and one was just hoping that they would finish with a perfect week. I think that would have been ideal. And so the Devils uh, leave Prudential Center for a while uh, on a little bit of a low note. And that kind of brings me to the next thing. Uh, John, we take a look at the next uh, week of games starting on Tuesday. The first battle of all of the Hughes brothers, Jack, Quinn, and Luke, all matching up on Tuesday night in Vancouver, 10 p.m. start time. I know. I know, Devils fans. It's... It's not great when we have to stay up mad late to watch our team play. Uh, Two nights later, on national TV, I might add, the Devils are in Seattle against the Kraken, the struggling Seattle Kraken. 10.30 p.m. start time. So this will be the second of two nationally televised games that night. And then the Devils have back-to-backs in Alberta. First in Calgary, 4 p.m. start. And then on Sunday, also 4 p.m. start, this time against the Edmonton Oilers. So, John, when you look at these four games, what are your honest overall feelings about the Devils' chances to make this a successful road trip coming up? So, I think a successful road trip for the Devils, I think the goal should be three and one. I I think I mean that we lose the battle with the Hughes brothers. I just think the Canucks are firing on all cylinders right now, and the Devils, I mean, lack of a better word, aren't. Um, the Kraken are struggling, though, so I think we could beat the Kraken. And then the Flames and Oilers are kind of just – the Oilers are also in a pickle. So I feel like we could beat them while they're down. And the, the Flames, they play tough, but I think we could beat them. So I think three and one's reasonable, but we can't have another disappointing loss. We can't 
if we lose two or three, that's going to be a bad week. For sure. And uh, I think, again, it's crazy that with the way this year has gone, that we look at the first game against the Canucks and say to ourselves, it's going to be tough because, again, the Canucks have been really good. They just pulled off that trade for uh, Nikita Zadora for basically nothing. I mean, a, a heck of a move by Vancouver um, to definitely bolster their back end, be a little bit more physical. They actually now, with the addition of Zadorov and him being paired with Tyler Myers, they have the tallest and biggest uh, defensive pairing in the National Hockey League. So not something that's going to be thrilling for, de for the Devils to be uh, looking at when they take on Vancouver in that game. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun regardless, and uh, hopefully the Devils can get off to a good start. And like you mentioned, Seattle's been struggling. Calgary... I mean, they have, they're still very much in it. I mean, they're playing decent hockey, but that should be a win. And you look at Edmonton. I mean, if you're able to slow down McDavid and Dreisaitl and just pepper their goaltending with shots, you give yourself a really good chance to win the game. And the Oilers are not, while they're playing better, they're still not anywhere near where they need to be. So again, I think overall, this is, is uh, we are hopeful that this is going to be a successful road trip coming up, but it's going to start with that Tuesday game against the uh, Canucks and hopefully uh, they can get off to a good start. So now that we've kind of gotten how the Devils did the rest of this week and obviously looking ahead to this week, I want to talk to you a little bit about trade targets. And I think it's at this point in the season, I think it's good enough to really talk about uh, what type of options the Devils have. I don't really think you're going to see them make a move for a forward. Quite frankly, they don't need another forward. Nowhere in their lineup are they lacking a, a good forward. Um, even putting Brendan Smith on a fourth line ends up actually working out in our favor. He's played better as a forward than he has a defenseman. But clearly, the options need to be focusing on the goaltending and also on the back end in our defensive core. So I want to throw a couple of names at you, um, John, and kind of get your thoughts on each one. A lot, All three of these guys are low risk and most likely going to be like medium reward. Like we're not, these are not groundbreaking moves by any means, but these are guys that have experience in the league and have shown to be pretty reliable in some capacity and would certainly upgrade the devil's uh, goaltending. And the first guy I want to talk about is Jake Allen from the Montreal Canadiens. This is a guy that his name has been thrown around to several teams that are, that are uh, goaltending friendly. And uh, you know, the Canadians are obviously struggling towards the bottom of the Atlantic division. They're most likely going to be sellers at the deadline. And I think Jake Allen's going to be somewhat of a hot commodity to teams who need a goaltender. One of them is the Devils. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on maybe pursuing Jake Allen in a, in a, in a trade to uh, boost the goaltending? Uh, I think Jake Allen would be solid. He's a veteran, like you said. Uh, he's, made it to the playoffs. he's been on good teams before. But I think whoever, regardless of who the Devils go for, it has to be before the deadline. I don't, th I don't think this can wait. I think this is a, a pressing issue for the Devils. And that the longer it goes on, the more losses that are going to be on the goalies. Yeah, and I think, again, you know, we've talked about it. Um, you know, several times over that really all of these moves are going to be based around guys that may not be here for very long, but are going to be hopefully good enough to kind of just stabilize the goaltending kind of moving forward. And so, you know, really it's just about looking at different options. That brings up the next guy that I want to get your thoughts on. And that is James Reimer, AKA Optimus Rhyme, who I think people forget that he's still in the league right now. He is the third. He is the uh, third goalie option for the most part. He's been the backup slash third goalie option for the Detroit Red Wings. Now, 
the Red Wings, again, are going to be one of those teams that they carry three goaltenders. So it would behoove of them to make a move to trade one of them. And I think Reimer's going to be the most likely guy on the move. He has always been a pretty pretty reliable goaltender. He's never really been. I mean, the only time that maybe he got a lot of criticism was the lack of playoff success when he was in Toronto. But you look at um, you, you look at James Reimer so far. He has played in six games, two wins, does have a shutout, has a 2.30 goals against average at a .917 save percentage. Not a lot of work. But comparatively to what we've seen from both Vitek and Akira already, from a stats perspective, he's already looks like a a, a better option in in some degrees, and he plays pretty big in the net, which I think also would uh, would certainly help out. So, what, what do you think of James Reimer from Detroit? Uh, actually, I think Reimer as a three. I think Reimer is probably the best option. Like you said, he's small sample size this year, of course, but again veteran i think he's a guy who if he doesn't play every night he's not going to be rattled if he has a bad game it's not going to you know wear on him as much cuz he's been around a long time he's had he's lost games he's let up four or five goals in a game and you know you bounce back and we said he has a shutout this year i mean if the devils could even his goals against average two goals a game we score three or four goals a game that's fine we could anyone around if you're hovering around a two we could work with that and i think you know again we kind of go off of what people were saying about the Devils prior to the start of last season, which was if the Devils get league average goaltending, they're right in the playoffs. And again, it's the same situation here. If the Devils can get to league average goaltending or even a bit above with the offense that they have and what they're capable of doing on a night to night basis, they're going to be able to win a lot more games and have a lot more consistent success, which is certainly what the Devils are looking for. Now, the third and final guy who the Devils literally just saw a few nights ago and ended up stopping 44 of 47 shots against the Devils is San Jose Sharks goaltender Kapo Kakinen, who did not play in the last game against the Rangers on Sunday, but he is coming off that win. He's actually won three of his last four starts, uh, which actually finally got him to wins. He's won three of the 10 games that he's played, has a 3.99 goals against average and a .896 save percentage, which... It's pretty similar to what we've seen from uh, Akira and Vitek. Now, there is going to be one thing to just keep in mind. He has been playing with the San Jose Sharks, who, you know, again, just six wins up until this point, haven't have arguably the worst defense overall and the worst team overall in the league. So you do wonder how much is it on Capo Kakinen and how much is it on uh, the Sharks themselves. So, you know, again, this is not a sexy, flashy option. This may not even be the the right option to go for, but it is something that, you know, maybe 27 years old, he's got a decent amount of experience, um, perhaps could help. I mean, your, your thoughts on, on Kapo Kakinen? Uh, I mean, I'm getting a little PTSD from the other night already, just looking at Kakinen, but um, I feel like he's kind of a lateral move. I feel like he kind of puts us back in the, he's on the same level as Vanacek and, Schmid kind of because it's hard to tell like you said the Sharks are so bad this year that it's hard to evaluate individual players especially a goaltender because you know they're getting a lot of work right um I, I feel like that was would be better with a veteran though you know someone who they could you know doesn't have to play every night and he can come in in relief or if he has to start three or four games in a row you know he could do it yeah and I think that I feel like Kapo Kakinen would be a guy that maybe we get as a last-minute thing. I think about some of the goalies that Fitzgerald had to bring in 
towards the end of the season two years ago. And you kind of like, you don't really have like sort of a reaction to it. You just kind of go like, ho-hum, like it's really, you know, he's not very good. Is he really going to help us? This, that, and the other thing. But no, no, no. Exactly. And I like how you mentioned it's like a lateral move. It feels a lot like what we already have. And that's exactly what I think the uh, the Devils don't want to do. But again, those are just three options. Yaroslav Halak, who just got released from his PTO in Carolina, is available. That is a guy that I think, uh, from a veteran perspective, I mean, that there's no more veteran than you can get than Yaroslav Halak right now, who's still a pretty solid netminer despite being high up there in age. There's obviously going to be other options out there potentially. I know people want me to talk about John Gibson or Yusei Saros, but John Gibson's contract is abysmal right now. We would be taking off for several years, and I don't think that that's what we need to be doing. You say Saros, I mean, if he becomes available at the deadline, I think the Devils should absolutely put the full court press on getting him. But even though the Predators are only 11 are, are 11-11 right now, uh, you know, I, I just I, it just sounds like to me more likely that the Predators want to keep him around long term. So again, yeah. things could change. You know, attitudes can change. A lot to get to before we get to the deadline. Although I do think the Devils need to make some moves prior to the way before the deadline. Um, but, you know, we shall see. So now I want to shift quickly here to three potential candidates uh, to acquire uh, as, you know, on the defensive side. And again, you know, I know that the Devils have guys already in the lineup and everything like that, but clearly the Devils need more. There's clearly needs to be more of, of a move of a move that needs to be made one way or the other. And there's a couple of guys that kind of stick out to me and I want to get your thoughts on as well, John. And the first guy is a guy that, especially after Zadorov got traded, is now probably the number one guy on the defend for defensemen that is on this list, and that is Noah Hannafin, also from the Calgary Flames. Five goals, seven assists for 12 points on the year with a Relatively surprising plus minus of plus three. And, uh, you know, when, when you think about it, he's a guy that, again, I think would be a semi-splash move. Like, it would be like, wow, we were able to get Noah Hannafin. That's a big move. He's a good, you know, left-shooting defenseman. He can be pretty physical overall. So, definitely not a bad not a bad move by any means. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, where his contract is. For some reason, I'm not getting the information, but I'll look at it in just a second. But do you feel that Noah Hannafin is the biggest guy the Devils need to be looking at for defensive help? Uh, I don't, but I, I think he, okay, how, how can I put this? I think he's the best defenseman available on the market, probably like being shopped, but I don't think he's the best fit for the Devils. And, the and why? Need, I, I think the Devils need more of like a, I just feel like right now we have too many of the same type of defensemen, right? If you look at defenses like archetypes, I feel like we have too many smaller, like, puck-moving, like, offensive-minded guys. I mean, Hannafin is a little more two-way, but I feel like we just need a defensive guy that's okay just, you know, being like a shot blocker, okay being on a shutdown pair. Because right now, you know, if it's late in the game and we're down, we don't really – I mean, we could put out Siegenthaler and Ball, I guess, but Siegenthaler's not having the best year either. So I feel like we just need a guy that can eat up defensive the defensive zone minutes. Yeah, and I think that adding a guy like Noah Hannafin, um, I don't think it would end up costing the Devils a lot to acquire him. I mean, considering what the Canucks didn't have to give up to to get Zadorov, who I would argue to say maybe is of lesser 
talent that Noah Hannafin. Hannafin has made it pretty clear that he does not want to be in Calgary moving forward. So he is definitely going to be moved at some point at the trade deadline. And it should be mentioned that this is the final year of his contract. He will be an unrestricted free agent. So it's very possible this could be a rental move for any sort of contender. Um, but I think even though he may not necessarily fit the devil's mold and devil's system, I think he's still somebody that the Devils should certainly keep their eye on and look to maybe acquire about. I'm sure maybe the Devils have already spoken to Calgary. They've already had a good relationship with the move to get Tyler Toffoli and, and things like that. So, you know, we'll keep that in mind. And now I want to stick with talking again about the Calgary Flames. Because again, they are clearly in a selling mode. Despite where they are in the standings, they are clearly in a mode of they want to gain assets to rebuild. I don't think there's any way any way else that we can uh, describe it. And so the next guy that comes up again from the Calgary Flames is Chris Tanev, another defensive uh, defensive defensive. One goal, six assists, seven points. Has a better plus minus than um, Noah Hannafin. He has a plus minus of plus five, which is kind of interesting. Um, and again, I don't know where they're getting the, how their plus minuses are actually pretty good considering Calgary's not – Tremendous. Now, again, same thing with Noah Hannafin. He is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Now, I did want to mention this before. It is possible the Devils put Dougie Hamilton on LTIR, long-term IR. If that is the case, the Devils then open up about $9 million in cap space, which means regardless of whether they go after Noah Hannafin or even Tanev, despite their cap hit, they would have more than enough money to afford them to come onto the, come onto the books and go from there. But... I mean, overall, I, I think this seems like for a lot of people from a defensive defensive perspective, John, that this is the guy the Devils need to be trying to go after. Yeah, so I think so. Like, originally, I, I liked uh, Zadorov. He's, he's a big physical defenseman. Obviously, he's off the market. But one thing he did was he set the market kind of low for, for rental defensemen right now. I mean, the Devils, I mean, what was he trade for? Was it, a, was it a third? It was a, a third and a fifth. Yeah, it's a third and a fifth. We can part ways with that for a defensive defenseman right now, okay? We're not going to be – a fifth-round pick is not going to be making an impact right away for the Devils right now. So, I feel like Tanayev is probably the guy – Hannafin is good. Like I would be okay with that too. But I think Tanayev fits our need more of a guy that, you know, on the penalty kill, you can put him and Brendan Smith out there. Or, you know, if it's late in the game, you could put him in ball and just have a physical defensive pair. Plus, come the playoffs, Tanayev is a physical defenseman. So, if we're going to get there – you know, and we run into the true train again, we have someone that can also play the physical game. And Tanev's always been a very respected uh, type of player. Very, Like you mentioned, a physical player, a guy who could also block shots really well. Um, all the things that we need to get that better support back there and just be able to be more reliable in our own zone. So, again... Would not be surprised to see the Devils looking at Calgary again for reinforcements, particularly on the defensive side. Now, there is one other guy that kind of came up, and he actually plays within the Metropolitan Division, and he ended up actually um, just playing against the Devils back on Thursday, got a goal against the Devils, and that is Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Sean Walker. Now, a lot of people might say, who the hell is this guy and why should I care? Well, so far through 24 games, three goals, eight assists, 11 points, and a plus-minus of plus seven. He is one of the bigger reasons on the defensive side why the Flyers have been able to have the success they've had up until this point. Now, full disclosure, he does have one assist so far in the last couple of games, so he hasn't done a whole lot on the offensive side. But again, these are all guys that we're looking more for to be helping, helping us out, locking down on the, uh, on the defensive um, end of it. Now, again... 
Another guy that his contract comes up at the end of the year, he's only making about $2.7 million this season. So he's a little bit cheaper than the other two guys that we just mentioned. Another guy that could be an under-the-radar move that the Devils make, but actually could end up being very beneficial moving on for the rest of the season. So what are your thoughts? Um, I know there's not a whole lot to work with, John, but your thoughts on maybe going after someone within the division and Sean Walker? I think Walker, he, he's an okay defenseman. Uh, like I said, he had a goal against us. I think Walker would probably cost the least out of the three to acquire. Um, that, that's if the Flyers don't ask for more for being in the division. But I feel like he's probably the most low-risk move just because it would cost the least to acquire him. Obviously, if we acquire Tanaya or Hannafin, we're expecting big minutes out of them, and um, you're going to rely on them a lot more, where Walker is probably more of a, a second- or third-pairing defenseman. So, again, you know, and, and the thing with the Flyers is that, look, they could still be in a playoff spot by the time the trade deadline comes around, and they may not want to move uh, Sean Walker. But he's a guy that could certainly be on the move. People have talked about him as a guy that at the end of the year or at the deadline, they just move to try to get something for him and, and go from there. And maybe the Devils, you know, if they're in a good position, maybe they find a way to pick him up, don't have to give up a ton again, and just try to make – you know, solid moves that just make the defense as a, as a whole a lot better, which again is one of more of the, the big things that we're looking for. So again, a lot of options. Uh, doesn't seem like a lot of big name options. Things will, things can certainly change over the next couple of months, but just some names to keep your eye on uh, in the near future here as the Devils look to try to see if they can find some solutions um, on their back end. So now that we've, you know, talked a lot about the Devils, you know, and, and everything like that, which is, you know, great. And, uh, you know, we'll see what they can do. I want to talk to you a little bit about college football. Now, full disclosure, CFP Talk Daily has a tremendous following over on Twitter. I would highly recommend you guys go follow them. I'll share their social media as well. They do a great job of covering everything you need to know about college football, regardless of what it is. They have certainly been busy today. For sure. As uh, the, at the time of this recording, it is December 3rd. This was the day that we found out who would be in the college football playoff as well as who would be as well as, uh, you know, all the bowl games that are going on. And also just want to make a little bit of a personal note. Both uh, both the people you are listening to are also big time Rutgers Scarlet Knight fans who Rutgers mm -hmm. finally back in a bowl game. And we'll talk about them towards the end here. But I want to talk first to you, John, about the college football playoff because we did have a little bit of controversy, and I said to myself, somebody's getting screwed today. I don't know who it is. Someone's getting screwed. And we'll start with the first of the two semifinal playoff games, and that is the Rose Bowl. And we have Alabama at number four taking on Michigan at number one. That game will be on New Year's Day, 5 p.m. Eastern start time. That's the first of the two uh, CFP playoff semifinals. So we'll kind of look at that. So we got Michigan against Alabama. And then when you look over to the second of the two um, semifinal games, a little bit more surprising as the Texas Longhorns for the first time are, are in the college football playoff. They'll be taking on Michael Penix and the Washington Huskies in the Sugar Bowl. Again, the winners of these two games will play in the national championship, which will be at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, on January 8th, 7.30 p.m. start time. So you have Alabama, Washington, Texas, um, and you got, you got sorry, Michigan, uh, Washington, Texas, and Alabama as your college football playoff. Georgia, the two-time defending national champions after losing in the SEC title game 
are out. And the biggest controversy of them all, despite going 13-0 in the regular season and then losing both their starting and backup quarterbacks, the Florida State Seminoles did not make the CFP. They'll end up playing the Georgia Bulldogs in the Orange Bowl, or as some people put it, the we don't really want to be here bowl. Um, so overall, John, your thoughts on this year's college football playoff matchups. Uh, well, to starters, I think we know who the Hughes brothers are going to be uh, rooting for in this. For sure. Michigan. Um, yep. I also kind of want Michigan to win, even though they're, you know, uh, a controversial season to say the least. Um, I, I just can't help but feel for the Florida State kids, though. You know, they, get, they really got screwed. I mean, to put it in perspective, for those of you who don't watch college football, it would be like if the Devils had a historic season like last year, then Jack Hughes gets hurt before the playoffs, and the NHL was like, okay, well, we're going to put – the eighth seed and over you guys. So right. uh, I, I feel like that's how – I feel like they just got screwed. I mean, like those kids work so hard. And why play the games if going undefeated doesn't get you in? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think – I like Texas. Uh, obviously, I'm an Oregon guy too, so I don't really want Washington to win. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's going to be a great game, Texas versus Washington. I'm excited to watch that. And uh, I don't know if you saw the reaction of Michigan seeing they're playing Alabama. I did see that. I will, to say the least, they did not look the happiest to be getting Alabama. I, look, Alabama has been playing so well up until this point. They deserve to beat Georgia in the SEC title game. And they honestly do deserve a shot in the CFP. I think that they've earned that right. Um, and it'll be really interesting. And I think Michigan's looking at it like of all the teams to face off against. Probably the two teams that Michigan didn't want to face in their CFP matchup was probably Alabama or or Georgia. Clearly, they wanted Florida State. They knew it would give them the better matchup. But now they got about a month, got like a couple weeks to prepare for a Nick Saban-led team. Um, it's going to be a fun one. And then you mentioned Washington and, uh, and Texas. I mean, again, should be a really, really fun matchup. I think that game could go either way. I'm only rooting for Washington to win it all because with the Pac-12 no longer in existence after this year, I think it would be kind of great for the Pac-12 to get its uh, first and only um, national championship in the CFP era uh, in its last year of, an, of its existence. So nonetheless, going to be a lot of fun. And if you want to get in on this action, if you feel confident enough to make some picks, make sure to sign up with DraftKings using our promo code THPN and put some money down on who you think are going to win these college football playoff semifinal games. And of course, who will win the national championship. So kind of sticking with college football, the other big award that the, really the biggest award out there for a lot of people that don't know is the Heisman Trophy. Now, the Heisman Trophy is basically like the Hart Trophy in the NHL. It is given to the best overall player in college football. And right now, I would say we have about five guys who are the likeliest to potentially take home that award. And I'll show you here, thanks to our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, the latest odds for the Heisman Trophy. So in first place, you have quarterback Jaden Daniels at a LSU at a minus 1,200. He is the favorite. Second favorite is Michael Penix out of Washington at a plus 900. Bo Nix, who just lost for the second time to Michael Penix of Washington in the Pac-12 title game. He's in third with a plus 1,500. You have Jalen Milrow, starting quarterback for Alabama, at plus 10,000. And Marvin Harrison Jr. out of Ohio State at a plus 20,000. So, Jaden Daniels, despite not playing in the SEC title game and obviously still having a great year, 
is the current favorite, according to DraftKings and a lot of odds, to win the Heisman Trophy. So, uh, John, give me your thoughts on what you think is going to happen with this year's Heisman Trophy uh, voting. So, if you asked me on Thursday before the Washington-Oregon game, my pick probably would have been Bo Nix, maybe a little bit biased, being an Oregon guy. Right. But I think now the, the dilemma, I, mean, the only, I think it's Jaden Daniels' award to lose. I think the only thing you could argue is that, okay, they have a few losses, which, again, to put it in hockey terms, would be like McDavid winning the heart. Edmonton wasn't a great team, but he had such great stats that you can't ignore that he, without him, they would have been so much worse. I think that's the right. same situation at LSU, is that without Jaden Daniels, I mean, this might have been a five or six loss team. So I think he put up historical numbers, just like Conor McDavid did for his heart. And I think you can't ignore the numbers. They're just too good. Yeah, I mean, he really, really shot up the boards. I don't think a lot of people had Jaden Daniels on their boards to start the year. But as the year progressed, he got better and better. And this is a guy that could be very interesting to a lot of NFL teams that need a quarterback uh, in terms of drafting. So, you know, we'll see. I still think it's going to end up being Michael Penix. This is my personal pick. Um, I think also just betting him at the second highest odds at plus 900, I think is a pretty good bet. Um, good I'm, surprised, I'm surprised JJ McCarthy isn't in there. Um, not saying that I think he deserves to be in there, but because of just the Michigan hype and everything, I would have thought that maybe he would be in there, but I guess not. Marvin Harrison Jr., I think if he had had a really good game against Michigan and they won, I think he would have jumped a lot higher, um, but it is not how it goes. Jalen Milrow. Got off to a slow start for Alabama, but has certainly level, you know, elevated his play and is a big reason why Alabama is in the college football playoffs. So again, we showed you the uh, the odds sponsored by DraftKings as always. So make sure when you uh, sign up for DraftKings, use our pro promo code THPN, that you can place a bet as well as to who you think is going to take home the college football play, um, player of the year. Now, last but certainly not least, kind of sticking in the Jersey realm, John, we got to talk a little bit about Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Uh, their football team finished six and six, three and six in the Big Ten. They were six and two and ended the year, unfortunately, losing their last four to finish at an even six and six. But they still clinched their first outright bowl berth since 2014 when they played against North Carolina in the Quicken Lanes Bowl in Detroit. And so, who are they playing? Well, it is a Big East match or rematch as we have Rutgers. At Yankee Stadium in the Pinstripe Bowl, taking on the Miami Hurricanes. Now, a couple of interesting things here, John, which I'm sure you know. Greg Schiano, former defensive coordinator for University of Miami. Mario Cristobal, the head coach of Miami, is a former Rutgers defensive assistant from 2001 to 2003. So a little bit of that. Rutgers is 0-11 all-time against the University of Miami. This is when the Hurricanes were unbelievably dominant with some of the greatest players to play in college football and some great Hall of Fame players that played in the National Football League. So this should be a fun matchup. This will be on December 28th at Yankee Stadium, a 2.15 p.m. start time. And uh, I know myself and John will certainly be there, no doubt. But John, give me your thoughts overall of Rutgers this season, finally getting back to a bowl game. Do you feel that progress has been made or is there more to be desired? So I guess it's time for me to eat crow because when actually when Greg Chandler got hired, I was not the biggest fan of the hire. And you know okay. what? I was wrong. And I'm okay. I'm okay to admit that I was wrong. 
he stabilized the program. He 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 really wasn't working with a lot, and he got us to six wins and a bowl win. So I think he he earns he earns my respect now for sure. And I think this is a big step forward for the program. You know, it, it's big. It's a lot easier to sell kids on six and six than you know one win a year or right. you know, watching them get blown out. So I think being able to compete and at least be you know a six and six five hundred team, uh, we go to a bowl every year. That's a lot easier to sell. So I think it's a good stepping stone for the program and. I hope, I hope it continues because, I mean, there, there's some talented kids on this team. You know, Powell, Kyle, Manungai, like This is a good football team. And I think you do have to give you know some credit to Greg Schiano for the job that he's done to get Rutgers where it was during the Chris Hash era to where they are now. Um, there is a lot of question marks still about the quarterback play from Gavin Wimsett, you know, the highest overall uh, recruited player that Rutgers has ever gotten. Very much had some good moments but also had some not-so-good moments, and the offense was the team's Achilles heel for sure, despite common on guy rushing for over 1,000 yards, the only player in the Big Ten to rush for over 1,000 yards. And I know we've talked about it a little bit, John, um, on social and things like that. Do you feel that do, do you feel that Gavin Wimson is the guy, or do you feel that Rutgers needs to start looking in a different direction already? So I'm not ready to give up on him, but kind of like that was goaltending situation, I think it's time this year you bring in a veteran to at least, you know, push him in training camp, maybe make him work a little bit harder because the talent is there. I mean, obviously you don't get to this point without being talented. I just think that maybe he's just knows there's no one else to replace him. So he doesn't really put the work in, but also the offense really wasn't opened up to him. And Soraka's offense isn't obviously people have talked about it as it takes a few years to learn the offense. So I'm not ready to give up on him yet because I think he's still so young. I mean, I think you have to give him another year at least. But you don't you don't bring in a guaranteed starter. You bring in someone that can you know give him a competition. And you obviously do have some young guys backing him up, and a Johnny Shepard from New York, and you have um, AJ Serace coming in as well uh, from New Jersey. But there are a lot of quarterbacks that are available in the transfer portal. I would yeah. not be surprised if Rutgers is looking into it to kind of see what they can find. Um, we did see that one of the Rutgers quarterbacks, their backup quarterback, actually is going to enter the transfer portal, which totally get considering yeah. the situation. A lot of the guys that Rutgers will probably be losing in the transfer portal are guys that honestly and truly we're not going to see a lot of action, and they just haven't been seeing a lot of action. So are they losing anybody of great impact? No, but at the same time, you got to find a way to bring in some guys. They brought in Flip Dixon last year from Minnesota, and I thought he had a really, really good year under Joe Harris Miak's defense. Rutgers' defense is going to continue to be good, especially with bringing back some guys like Tyreen Powell. Um, But they got one last ride. They got one last game to go here, and hopefully they can finish the year on a high note with a winning record, seven wins, and and a uh, pinstripe bowl win, which I think would be really important for a stepping stone for the program. So, you know, let's, let's go Rutgers. Let's yeah. chop, baby. So Check on that chop. note, yeah, absolutely. Keep chopping. But on that note, that's going to do it for us on this episode. John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really do appreciate it. Love your devil's insight, but also your college football insight as well. Really, really appreciate it. But before I let you go, I do this with all my guests. I like to roll out the red carpet and let them kind of tell the folks home where they could check you guys out and everything you got going on. So the floor is yours, my friend. Well, first off, thank you for having me on. I love talking about the Devils. I mean, I'm probably a bigger hockey fan than college football fan, to be honest. I mean, my room is red and white for the Devils. I have Devil stuff all in front of me here. Um, not many people want to talk about hockey, so I love to talk about it with who I can. 
Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at CFB Talk Daily. Uh, the podcast is starting up again this week. So uh, that link will be in the Twitter bio and you know, come with them. Absolutely. Make sure you go listen. If you are a college football fan or even a football fan in general or even a sports fan, would highly recommend you go check out the podcast uh, when they get a new episode up and uh, looking forward to listening as well. But again, John, thank you so much. And we'll definitely have you uh, on the podcast again soon. Yeah, thank you. Have a great night.